What's going on, everyone? Welcome into another episode of The Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com. My name is Colton Denning, and I am your host, and I am joined, as always, by my friend and co-host to break down Ohio State's 27-26 to thrilling win over Penn State last night. His name is Patrick Mayhorn. Patrick, how are you feeling this morning? It was a wild roller coaster of emotions last night. Man, I'm exhausted. <laughs> I was um, I was up until like four Eastern time because I had to. I was covering some of the late night games, and I was just I was completely out of it after this this game. I mean, this was I think as draining an Ohio State game that I can really remember. And there's there's so much to talk about from it. There are so many things that were just bizarre uh there were a lot of really dumb things that happened in this game and uh i i don't remember where i saw this the who said it it was probably on twitter but but someone said that uh ohio state penn state somehow managed to make both fan bases feel worse <laughs> like it's just ohio state won and i think that you know we'll we'll probably be on the same page here i don't feel great about it <laughs> I disagree. Really? I disagree. And we, we don't disagree a lot about like major things on this show. I am super thrilled with this win. And uh, we might as well just get right into it. We'll break down as much as we can. We're not going to get to everything because, like you said, there is so, so much to break you could down write about, about this game. <laughs> yeah, th- this game could have its own book. But but I'll tell you why. And, and we'll talk about some of the things that I wasn't so thrilled with. But the, the fact that they were down in this game twice and, and came back, I, I think, is is one thing. And are, are you aware that this is the second straight year that Penn State <laughs> has blown a double-digit fourth-quarter lead against Ohio State? I mean, that alone, I think, That's wild. is reason to ce- it's wild yeah. and it's reason to celebrate. And, and here's something that we've brought up before, and it, it's so easy for us to feel spoiled with Ohio State's success. And you and I, I think, are much more cynical than a lot of other people are when it comes to talking about Ohio State. And I think it's fine to view this game in that lens with some of the things and the decisions that Ohio State made. But we don't spend enough time talking about like other teams having talent. Penn State is a really good team. It's hard to win on the road at night in Happy Valley when Penn State has as good a team and as good a quarterback as they do. So I, I don't want to feel like I'm taking games like this for granted just because Ohio State has been as good as they've been over the last decade and under Urban Meyer because, you know, we've seen them lose games to worse teams. So I, I think winning a game like this, it's ugly, it's stupid. There's a lot you look back on and you're like, oh, boy, that isn't going to fly against better teams. And I think that that's fair. But I also think, like, man, these are the type of wins that, you know, when I have a kid someday, if they're interested in college football, that I'll be like, this This is a game you look back on. Like, I watched that game. It was crazy. Like, this was an all-timer for me because games like this just don't come around and you don't win games like this really ever. And, you know, we can debate whether they deserve to win or not, but the fact is that they did and it's just unbelievable. And we'll, we'll see where it goes from here, but I'm just thrilled with it because, one, I f- hate Penn State and they deserve to lose games like this at home 
And two, just the way that the kids fought. And we'll, we'll talk about some of the mistakes, but for them to pull it out, I think is awesome for them. And it's awesome for us as fans to look back on this game and to always be like, man, I remember where I was watching that game in Ohio State won. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I, I saw that um, after the game, Chase Young was super excited and he had a he had a huge game. And it was great to see those guys all, you know, rewarded for, for what I thought was individually for a lot of these players, a very good game. <laughs> Some guys did not have great games. Some guys were, were kind of not put in a great situation with some play calling stuff. But there were some guys on this team who really, really stepped up and helped win this game. And you're right. Th this is the kind of game that most teams don't win. Really, really, most Ohio State teams, I think, don't find a way to win this game. I mean, they were down 12 with, what, like eight minutes left? And then they they found a way to come back and win despite having little to no offense all night long. They, they drove 96 yards. They just... The, they completely changed their offensive scheme in the the last eight minutes of the game and went pretty much entirely with screen passes and they they trusted the the wide receivers group that had for years tormented the rest of the team with their bad play and it, it's just like all of these storylines were colliding at once and uh, it, it was just it was wild to see that it was the wide receivers stepping up late in the game to to help the offense or that it was the linebacker group that was dreadful in this game stepping up on that last drive and, and helping contain on the, the the stops that led to Ohio State getting the ball back and being able to kneel out the clock. It was just, you know, there were there were some performances in this game from Ohio State players that weren't particularly good. Uh, and we'll we'll certainly talk about that. But despite that, they still managed to to weather the storm and, and win the game. Despite Trace McSorley completely lighting this defense up for 60 minutes. Ohio State was still able to... We, we talked about in the, the preview show that Ohio State was going to have to take a punch from Penn State. They took, like, a knockout blow. And, <laughs> and then they got back up and won the game. And that's just... You don't see that. You don't see that in, in college football very often. And I think that that speaks to the you know the thing that Ohio State's been preaching the, the the mantra with the brotherhood thing I think that that speaks to them actually buying into that and that that being a legitimate driving force in the locker room is that these guys are playing for each other and you saw that in post game with with Chase Young talking about how he wanted to play well for Dwayne how he wanted to play well for Nick Bosa you know how he wanted to make those plays not for his own gain but for those guys and I, I think that that is you know, a game like this, guys like that stepping up is the mark of a a team that can legitimately win a national championship. And that's, you know, teams to to compete for a title, you have to win games like this. You have to win the messy ones. You have to win the stupid ones. We we've seen it years and years and years. That's that's the way it's been. Ohio State's had to win games like this before. They did it last year against Penn State. You cannot be a great team and not win some dumb ones that you probably shouldn't win. And I, I think that this is this is the dumb one, and they, they managed to come out on top, and that's, I mean, all credit to the players because they, they did a really great job coming back and winning this game late. Yeah, and what we talked about uh, in the preview and I think even just previewing the season is this game kind of reinforced to me that this team will probably lose a game at some point. Yeah. The Michigan state game later in the season stands out to me as one that they need to be wary about. Almost every team 
does lose a game. But like you said, you have to be able to win stupid games like this. And they did. And what I really liked, even more so than the Michigan game last year, this to me felt like the first signature win for this group of players. There's no more JT Barrett. There's no more Jerome Baker. You know, Raekwon McMillan has been gone for a couple of seasons. The only guys that have really been around to, to make plays to me in the past, it, it feels like Mike Weber and Draymond Jones. You know, they were big pieces of the 2016 Michigan game. I, I may be forgetting a couple of guys here, but this really feels like this this new era, this new group, the linebackers, the secondary guys like Sean Wade, Benjamin Victor, who we'll talk about making a that really big play. Yeah, it was, it's crazy. This, to me, feels like their first signature win, and I'm really happy for those guys. And I, I saw a lot of talk about getting back to Trace McSorley and just the game he had. I saw a lot of Penn State really outplayed Ohio State takes out there after the game, and that's that's fine because they probably should have won. But I, I think Trace McSorley outplayed Ohio State yeah. and not really Penn State as a total he had what 175 rushing yards something like that yeah 286 in the air 175 on the ground he was only 16 to 32 passing but they all felt like really big plays yeah (laughs) our own chad peltier put out a couple of stats that were fascinating to me penn state only had three successful carries that weren't trace mcsorley and 39 percent of their successful plays were trace mcsorley runs and earlier in the year we joked that this would be Trace McSorley would have the ultimate in a losing effort season. This was the ultimate in a losing effort game. So props to Trace McSorley and glad Ohio state is never going to have to play him a game again. And I'm super interested to see what Penn state looks like next season without Barkley, without Trace McSorley. That's not to say James Franklin can't do it. He had some very interesting comments that I think, are indicative of something else going on with that program. Mm -hmm. Not that they're going to crumble or anything, but just interesting that that's where they are after these years of James Franklin. But glad Ohio State doesn't have to play him again because he balled out. Yeah, I I will say the the James Franklin post-game comments, for for anyone that didn't see them, should probably go seek those out. Not, Not ideal. That's that's a little no. concerning. <laughs> like no, I, when you're like, this is why kids need to go to class. This is why kids need to take notes in film study. And I think that that's kind of normal coach stuff. Mm-hmm. But when you lose by one, and maybe you know last year's game and the way they lost that plays into it. I just thought that was that was a little odd. Yeah. Well, and the thing that he was, I I can't remember what exactly the the quote was. But he said, like, you thought I was a, a psychopath before, just wait now. <laughs> and it's like, you just saw the coach that you just coached against had to leave uh, the school that he was at for years because of heart issues because he was too intense. It's like, you don't, <laughs> you can you can be a good coach without, like, going completely insane. I, I don't think that you need to go completely insane to build the kind of program that Ohio State has, especially because Penn State has... A lot of talent. Penn State is the second best, ta- the, the the second most talented team in the Big Ten. That shows up every time they play Ohio State like this, and very very nearly beat them. Uh, I, I don't think that Ohio State can uh, keep getting away with this if they keep playing yeah. in games like this against Penn State. They will eventually get got. But it, it's just you know I I don't think that I don't think that this is really 
like I, I'm sure that James Franklin knows significantly more about what goes on in that program than than we do. But I don't think that that's a super appropriate reaction to losing by one to the number four team in the country. Yeah, it seemed a little much. Yeah. Shifting to Ohio State stuff, what would you think of Dwayne Haskins and the way he played? I think that this this 22 of 39 for 270 and three touchdowns stat line is super deceiving <laughs> from, yeah. from watching this game. We were we were super, super high on Dwayne coming into the game for good reason because he had played extremely well to this point. And I think that, you know, we, we were talking about how he can he can really prove if he's ready in this game. I don't think he's ready. I, I don't think Dwayne is ready for the the biggest, biggest stage. I, I think that he's uh, you know, for the first time really this season, I think he proved that he is a redshirt sophomore quarterback. He's he's a young quarterback. He's a quarterback who has a ton of talent and hasn't played as much football as you need to 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 be a, a quarterback that can handle these situations. He was, I mean, the stat lines don't really indicate it in terms of efficiency. He was fully outplayed by Trace McSorley, 100% outplayed by Trace McSorley. He really didn't handle pressure well, both physically with Penn State bringing heat on every play and mentally with that crowd, you could, you could really tell that he was rattled. You, you could tell that he was not playing his game he was aiming his throws rather than just playing his game and and you know throwing like he usually does and that that showed with him missing on quite a few throws down the field and his his stats were helped quite a bit by Ohio State going to the all screens offense in the fourth quarter but he was not he wasn't ready he he was not ready for this situation his style faded when there was pressure on him he couldn't really cover up the line anymore. I, I think that this kind of confirmed that this line stinks um, <laughs> because they, they did not know what to do with this blitz. And, and Dwayne, Dwayne didn't know what to do with it either. When, when he was out of the pocket, he lost accuracy. He, he wasn't reading the field well. I, I'm glad that, that his teammates stepped up and helped him. And this isn't, I don't think that this is going to be something that destroys his confidence because they won the game. But he still has work to do. And I think that this is really the first time that we've seen that this year is that, that Dwayne still has plenty of learning to do. And he, he wasn't awful by any means. He just wasn't he wasn't getting it done like Ohio State had been needing him to to this point. And that's that's concerning. I, I think he has plenty of growing still to do. I actually thought the line was okay. They weren't great, but I thought they did enough. There were a couple issues, like you said, with the blitz, but the I thought a lot of it was, was really, really bad for yeah. them. I'll say, I thought yeah. a lot of it was on Dwayne though, because if you go back and watch, there were times where he left the pocket where you thought like, oh shit, the line's getting killed, where he was just leaving. He was just running out of there. And I thought there were a couple times that he saw ghosts and players that weren't there and he thought somebody was blitzing and that's why he left. He, I, I think the early interception kind of shook his confidence. A little bit because he put that money or he put the ball right on the money to Rashad Barry and that should have been a play that got Ohio State into scoring position and in a position where they where they could have kind of quelled the crowd early a little bit and they could have had it less tilted towards Penn State where it just seemed like that at that point everything 
was going their way. And after that, it just felt like not that he crumbled, but just that he kind of got in his own head yeah. a little bit. And he was able to recover. And the throw to Benjamin Victor, it was a little high, but he put it only in a place where Victor could go get it. What struck me is they only took two shots downfield, both to Austin Mack, that weren't even really close to being completed. And a lot of that, I'm sure, has to do with the pressure. But it also didn't seem like that was in the game plan, which was I, I thought was a little bit concerning in what we kind of alluded to earlier, reverted back to what Ohio State has done in high-pressure situations under Urban Meyer. This, at times, felt like a very, very Urban Meyer big game 2015 to 2017 game plan and luckily I, I think the players picked up and and made plays with what they were given especially on the offensive side of the ball but like you said if that's a bad Dwayne Haskins game then I'm okay with yeah. that and he's still so young and we were probably a little bit too high on him and, and that's okay because this was his really first big opportunity on this stage. I know he came in in the Michigan game, but he was playing with a little house money in that one. The TCU game definitely wasn't on the level that this was on, but the fact that he even let, I don't want to say he led that drive because that's what we always give the quarterbacks just because they're, they're quarterbacks, but he was the point man for that drive and they were able to go 97 yards in the final minutes of a game like this and go win the game I think definitely says something about him and it's probably good that there's still things left for him to prove and it from what everybody says about him it's that he's a guy that's always looking to improve so I I think it's okay that he didn't play his best yesterday yeah it, it didn't end up costing them a game and that's I think really what matters here is that that even when Dwayne Haskins was struggling Ohio State was able to rally around him and I mean late in the game it it is it is easy to mark it off as the fact that he was really only throwing behind the line of scrimmage. But late in the game, he he did step up in the fourth quarter. He he was completing those passes, even if they yeah. were screen passes. He was standing in there under a ton of pressure. I mean, Penn State, they were blitzing all game, but in the fourth quarter, they really, really stepped it up. And I, I don't think that Ohio State was expecting that. I don't I don't think that they came in with the the idea that Penn State was going to blitz so much, and that was why their game plan was super iffy in the first half. I think it got better, really not even in the second half, but in the fourth quarter. But he he stood in there in the fourth quarter under a ton of pressure, down by 12, in a super difficult place for a young quarterback or really anybody to play. And he did what they needed him to do. He, he completed the screen passes that they told him to complete, uh, they were on the money. He he didn't miss on any of them that I can <clears throat> that I can really remember. And you you mentioned the Benjamin Victor play, and while that throw was not very good, it it did you know it worked. Benjamin Victor caught the ball and somehow it looked like he was jogging. I think it's just because he's got the Terrell Pryor thing going on, where his legs are so long that it doesn't look like he's ever running. Yeah. He's just kind of gliding. But Benjamin Victor made a play, and I, I think that. In the fourth quarter, the issue that that had been happening all game where, where Dwayne was not really seeing the field well and he, he kind of got into a place where he, he didn't seem like he was trusting his receivers, that faded in the fourth quarter. He, when forced to, you know, really, when he was really up against the wall and he had to, had to get it done or lose the game, he, you know, 
his worries about the receivers faded and he got them the ball. And that's what you need a quarterback to do. And he did it. That's, you know, he didn't, he didn't have a good game throwing the ball down the field. He didn't look like an NFL quarterback. The offense was not good. I, I think for pretty much almost all of this game, except for the last eight minutes, but they still won. They still got it done. And that's, you know, Dwayne should get credit for that because he was the quarterback that led both of those, those last two drives. And, I think he's only going to get better and he will only be more ready and and more prepared for, you know, the Michigan State game or the Michigan game or even like the Purdue game or really any game this season, the the postseason games, whatever that looks like for Ohio State. And that's good news. It, it's good that, that Dwayne went through this experience and, and knows what he needs to focus on now. What did you think of the running attack? Because I, I think that we have a pretty similar a pretty similar approach to uh, the running attack and maybe a little bit of confusion about why it isn't focused more on one guy than the other. I thought it was fine. I didn't think it was great. I didn't think it was bad. I actually thought both guys were okay. Mike Weber had some really solid runs. He had he a nice run late. in the in the fourth quarter. He had about a 12-yard run either on the last drive or the, the second to last drive. One of those fourth quarter drives, he had nine carries for 51 yards. J.K. Dobbins was, just looking at it, 17 of 57, not terrible. He only had a long of eight, so I think most of those runs were successful. Yeah. He, he got solid yards, got first downs. He had 19 touches total for 118 yards, which, yeah, get that man the ball and yeah. two touchdowns. <laughs> the biggest problem I had was just the way that they ran. They Early on, they were doing a lot of stuff inside, and it was working. And then they just totally abandoned that and were trying to run to the outside and they weren't able to. They were getting stuffs. They were having two-yard losses. And it was just super odd the way that they just decided to shift that. And then as the game went back on, they went more to the attacking inside, which I liked. But this RPO, it's either RPO or predetermined. I don't care what it is. It looks like an RPO. I think it needs to be phased out yeah. or a lot of it needs to be phased out because it's just not working. And I know that Haskins kept once for about five yards and it might've been a first down. It was, it was a nice play because he finally kept one and we saw the touchdown against TCU too, but he's just not built for that. And I think that they are wasting plays and wasting the advantages that they have by calling this RPO shit. It's just, it's not the move with, with the skill set that they have in in particular the two fourth and short calls mm. suck. yeah they were horrible they were terrible it was the first drive of the second half uh haskins gave off to to dobbins it was a good spot it was a good spot call was good. they they got it right yeah spot was good eternally the guys on college football final were like that was a really bad call and i was like you know what you guys aren't as good as the og version <laughs> of college football final get out of here <laughs> and then the the second one the most egregious one was 10-22 left in the fourth. Penn State was up 20-14. to 14, And they definitely ran the RPO, and Haskins got stuffed. It wasn't even close. You have a big quarterback. He's 6'3", like 2, what, 230, 240? Yeah. Fall forward. He's going to be able to get six inches. Like, they totally overthought that, and I still think that the way that they run the ball is a little bizarre. Yeah, I, I think that having Dwayne Haskins run the ball on fourth and short in the fourth quarter trailing by at that time 12 points 
Uh, I think it was 12 points. It, it might not have been 12. They were just down they six. They were down six. That was, okay. It was still 20 to yeah. 14. And then Penn point. State scored on after that. Yeah. Um, I think either either way, whatever the situation was, running Dwayne Haskins in that situation, despite pretty much, I think, pretty much everything that you know about him telling you that you shouldn't do that, <laughs> it, was, it was an Urban Meyer call. It was Urban Meyer yeah. calling that play and overriding whatever the smarter offensive minds told him to do. And it was dumb. It, it was the same thing that he's done in all of these big games since 2013. They they ran the ball with the quarterback on fourth down, and it didn't work. And they're very, very lucky that that didn't lose them the game. I, I really I think when you have a guy like J.K. Dobbins, when you have a guy like Mike Weber, even if you do want to run Dwayne Haskins, put him under center. Just have him run straight forward. I, I don't think that you know, it, it, if you need to run the quarterback on fourth and short, just do a quarterback sneak. That still works. You can still do that. That should have been the call. Yeah, I, I think that that is, you know, if you need to run the quarterback, just put him right under center and have him lunge forward. But Dwayne Haskins is not, you know, he's not a side to side runner. He's not really capable of the the kind of elusiveness that JT Barrett was. He 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 can't do what Braxton Miller did against Penn State where he was dancing around in the backfield on the on the goal line and ended up turning it into a touchdown after avoiding like six defenders. Dwayne Haskins can't do that. He he really has one speed and one direction. He can run forward at a moderate pace. He's not going to really make anybody miss. I don't think he's going to run anybody over. He's not he's not the Cardale style runner either he's just he's not a great runner I, I don't think that it's really fair to him to put him in a situation where he has to read the defensive end and decide to keep the ball or hand it off because if he keeps it it's probably not going to be successful I, I know that there's been situations where if he kept it there was nothing but green in front of him but he's not that fast he you know he's not he's not JT Barrett he's not going to be able to pick up big yards with his legs and He's not that kind of quarterback. That's fine. I just don't understand taking the ball away from J.K. Dobbins on that play or taking the ball away from Mike Weber to have your quarterback run it. I, I think that on those plays, it needs to just be a designed handoff. And I, I think that when Ohio State runs in the future, they need to be scheming for a designed handoff and not the possibility of an option because Dwayne Haskins is not an option quarterback. Yeah. Also a very interesting call. I forget which drive it was. It was the drive that to start the second half or after it was the second drive of the second the half. Direct after snap they, to KJ. Yeah. Yes, the direct drive. snap to KJ Hill. And they, at that point, it seemed like they were about to take the game over because they had just gone down and scored immediately to start the second half. They got a stop and it looked like they were going to score a touchdown they did the direct snap to KJ Hill. There was a false start after that, and they had to kick a field goal, which to Sean Nuremberger's credit, he drilled the first one, and then uh, Luke Farrell was called for a face mask. It was so bad. And after that missed field goal, I was like, okay, this this one's going to come down to the wire. That felt like it gave Penn State a little more juice. Like, okay, okay, we, we took their counterpunch. We're back in this thing. But, uh, yeah, a couple – of really interesting play calls. To their credit, they started to utilize the screen game more, especially with Dobbins. He had the nice, what, 30-yard, 30 35-yard run yeah. on that on that last drive and had the touchdown, of course. So, yeah, get, get the ball to J.K. Dobbins, man. He's, he's good. 19 touches, 118 yards. It, it feels like the way that J.T. Barrett was the go-to guy in situations 
J.K. Dobbins needs to be the go-to guy. He also picked up a early fourth down carry on fourth and short. So that that should be it. Um, the other big thought I had offensively, K.J. Hill continues to make big plays. The Michigan game last year had a couple of really big catches, had the touchdown against TCU that I think ultimately gave them the lead in that game early a couple weeks ago. And then the game winner this year, he made that Penn State defender look silly. He only had six catches for 59 yards and a touchdown, but scored the winning touchdown. And every other catch he made just seemed like it was a big play. He's fantastic. Yeah, he was great. I think in general, they, they struggled in the first half, and I think it was more a result of, of game planning and Dwayne Haskins not knowing how to handle the pressure. But late in the game, and I, I mentioned it earlier, the receivers looked great. They they stepped up. They yeah. were, you know, they were catching passes. They were making big plays after catching blocks those, after those screen passes. Did you see that that block from Terry McLaurin on the KJ yes. Hill game winning yeah. touchdown? That was ridiculous. He he took out for for anybody that didn't see it. I think I tweeted out a, a gif of it on my my Twitter account. And at the very end of that play, KJ Hill would not have scored had it not been for Terry McLaurin because he was he was down blocking someone, I think, in the end zone. And then when KJ Hill was running down the sidelines at about the five yard line, Terry McLaurin comes barreling in and knocks over three Penn State defenders that were chasing KJ Hill and completely clears up the rest of the the space for KJ Hill to get into the end zone. I, I think that Terry McLaurin of of all the receivers on this team, I, I think that he might be the most improved. Just in, in terms of, you know, he's not picking up big stats. He doesn't catch a ton of passes. He doesn't get a ton of targets. But his blocking and his his ability to help on those screen plays and on downfield big gains. I'm sure that he had a big block on the Benjamin Victor touchdown too, just knowing him. He's he's huge. He's a huge, huge help for this offense. Ohio State's offense is at its best when the receivers buy in on blocking, and Terry McLaurin had the great block on that touchdown. I think Austin Mack had a really good seal block on that too. Yeah, that, he did. That helped spring KJ Hill. It's just that's a big deal. That's a, you know that's part of that whole buying in thing. And to to see Terry McLaurin just throwing his body at those three Penn State defenders was, I mean, I would have never expected that from him before this season, and it, it's been really impressive to see his his turnaround I think my last two thoughts on the offense and then we'll talk about the defense a little bit one uh Benjamin Victor should be a starting receiver <laughs> he's, yes, sir. he's so good he's ridiculously talented it was the same exact thing we've been saying for you know since the beginning of last season when he did finally get a target hit his first was for eight yards and helped set up a a manageable third down that Ohio State converted and ended up scoring on that drive that was the first drive of the second half and then his second one was that catch like five feet over his head breaks a tackle and then just kind of dances to the (laughs) i have no clue how he found that that space i i think that there was some really great blocking on that play as well but he just he's a playmaker he he just makes big plays and Ohio State needed a guy to to step up and make a big play there. And Benjamin Victor, J.K. Dobbins, K.J. Hill all did that late. My last thing on the offense and something, I think it was, uh, I think it was my guy Ryan Donnelly tweeted out about uh, the tight ends and how Kevin Wilson is the tight ends coach. And they are non-existent. They stink. <laughs> They're really bad. 
uh, Luke Farrell, like you mentioned, had the face mask, which was just baffling and took three points off the board for Ohio State. Rashad Berry had the, I mean, it just bounced off of his hands and then the interception. I think he had another penalty on special teams. Barry did, if I remember correctly. It might have been Tyreek Johnson, though. They have the same number. But neither, I mean, Barry hasn't been very good this season. Luke Farrell hasn't been very good this season. Man, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I didn't like the Kevin Wilson hire when they made it because I don't think Kevin Wilson's a particularly good coach um, or person. I think he's actually a pretty bad person. But, I don't really actually know what he does here because he doesn't call the offense. Ryan Day does. That's why he was named the interim coach. He doesn't seem to coach receivers, at least not well. I I really think he just sits in the press box (laughs) and watches the game. (laughs) Whatever thing it is you do in your life where you tell yourself every week you're going to do it, like, oh, I'm going to go to the gym. This is the week I'm going to get better sleep. That's Ohio State telling us every season that the tight ends are going to be yeah. more involved yeah. because it has not happened. And it's probably for the best at, at this point with how many other playmakers there are uh, that that they have. What did uh, what'd you think of the game C.J. Saunders had? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> according to uh, roughly 500 people on Twitter – CJ Saunders is a weapon and he's an unstoppable force and Ohio State just he's does a beast. It. He just they don't just they just don't use him correctly. Uh, so we'll be sure to have those guys on the program. I'm sure that they have very reasonable takes on other things, uh, for sure. So um yeah, shout yeah, out. we didn't even get roasted by like the cool college no, kids. Man. Like, we it got roasted the by the kids' friends. <laughs> We got roasted by the kids that show up to the party and the players are like, yo, who are you with, man? And they're like, we're with CJ. And they're like, no, nah, we don't actually know CJ. Sorry, y'all. Like, we didn't even get roasted by the cool ones. I- I'm really yeah, disappointed. Man, it's a bummer. The only, the last <laughs> thing I have, Ben Victor should be the one getting the deep balls that yeah. Austin Mack is getting. And that's not anything on Austin Mack. We saw him make the play against TCU. But the guy that can track the ball and go up and make a play is Ben Victor. So that's how he should be used. Defensively, I feel like we have a mixed bag, but I want to start with something really good. We and everybody else in the world talked about this game needing to be the time where Chase Young steps up, Nick Bosa out, and him being basically that elder statesman on the outside of the defensive line and yeah he he stepped up (laughs) had not just a great game but one of the better all-around performances I can remember from an Ohio State defensive lineman and with who they've been pumping out here recently that is that's saying something he was he was awesome he made a lot of really game-changing plays I think he saved the game for Ohio State in the fourth quarter he he really really stepped up in the fourth quarter um, he also almost he almost ruined the game um, with uh, with his sack on Trace McSorley on that last drive um, because it was very very nearly a face mask that would have been awful. Um, which would have been his second of the game on a sack um, which is I don't know maybe he should clean that up a little bit but <laughs> it, it's it's hard to question him you know at this point we we've we've talked about his lack of discipline and how he's struggled with penalties and I think that that's all kind of tied into the fact that he's a true sophomore, which is just wild when you watch him play, that this guy is a true sophomore because he looks like Jadavian Clowney out there. He's just, you know, he's an excellent athlete. He's, you know, 
he's almost he's almost unblockable at times when he really really tries and that that showed in this game three tackles for a loss two sacks including the the sack that put Penn State in a, a second and 15 I think it was a second and 15 um that they then very easily wriggled out of and and um he you know he he made plays he made plays all game long and he forced Penn State's offense into situations that they did not want to be in, especially in the fourth quarter. He was pretty much the only thing that was stopping Trace McSorley in that fourth quarter. And after Trace had completely lit up this defense for the fourth quarter, that final drive, Chase Young had the sack, and then he had the uh, the game-winning tackle on uh, Miles Sanders on, I think, one of the dumbest play calls I've ever seen. James Franklin wasn't good. called. I think that he said that it was a read option, but it, it looked like an inside zone on, on fourth and five. He handed off to the running back that uh, had not had any success all game long. I mean, Miles Sanders, I think, is a very good player, but you can't run on this Ohio State defense. I, I, this defense they did a good line, job. Yeah. The, this defensive line, you cannot really hand off and run up the middle against them because Draymond Jones is too good. Big Bob Landers is too good. Chase Young is too good. Even Jonathan Cooper had a great game. He had two tackles for a loss. I, I thought he looked I thought he looked good. But Trace McSorley was, was unstoppable by pretty much everyone that wasn't Chase Young. And when Ohio State needed him to be stopped, Chase Young stepped up. He, he had two pass breakups late, later in the game, too. I think they were both on fourth down plays. He's awesome. He he's fantastic. I, I really, we 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 talked this way about Draymond Jones the last couple of weeks, and Draymond Jones had a great game as well. But Chase Young was the star of this defense. He was, I think, the most important piece of Ohio State staying in this game because Penn State, even early on in the game, they were just, I mean, they were just crushing in this defense. They were they were moving all over them, and I think they had three drives on their first their first three drives all went into Ohio State territory, and they got six points out of it. And that's, uh, I think, a credit to the defensive line more than anything. <laughs> Let's talk about the bad parts of the defense, which is all other parts of the defense. What do you think about the linebackers, man? I didn't, uh, I didn't like them. I didn't like the things that they did. <laughs> I thought they got better as the game went on. Yeah. I, they were super bad to start the game. Like yeah. one of the worst we've we've seen them play, and that's saying something. <laughs> but I thought it got better as the game went on. Yeah, I think in the fourth quarter they weren't terrible. They they got beat quite a bit by Trace McSorley. I think pretty much any linebacker group would, though. I, I don't think that this was unique to Ohio State having bad linebackers. I think it was just that Trace McSorley is really, really good at what he does. He, you know, we talked about in the preview how he was going to gash this defense with the the RPOs and with the quarterback draws, and he did. the The linebackers weren't able to stop it, and that's because he's a very good player. But they did they did play better in the fourth quarter. They they stepped up. I think that Malik Harrison and Tuff Borland were both in on a tackle on that final drive, if I remember correctly. They they both were right there on that fourth and five play and helped fill up the, I mean, there was nowhere for Miles Sanders to run. That wasn't that going play. anywhere. Yeah. yeah. If, if, if Chase Young didn't get the tackle, someone else would have because there was like eight guys there. It was a really bad play call. But I, I think that the linebackers were in the late stretches of the game. They were able to do better than I expected them to. They weren't good by any means. They were bad for most of the game. I still have quite a few issues with, I think, all of them, probably above all else, which is strange because he actually did have eight total tackles, but he had a lot of 
he had a lot of tackles where he just kind of jumped on the pile late. Tough Borland's not a starting linebacker. I, I know that a lot of Ohio State fans really like Tough Borland. I know that, you know, he he was he was a guy that Wisconsin was looking at. Generally, Wisconsin has very good linebackers when he was coming out of high school. He is not he's not a good enough athlete to play at Ohio State. I, I think that he's a pretty smart player. I, I think that he's good enough that he would be able to play at most schools. I don't think he can play at Ohio State. He he looked slow pretty much all game long. He was pretty frequently tasked with spying Trace McSorley. And like Trace McSorley is good. He he's good at running. He's not fast. <laughs> Trace McSorley is not like a he's not like a, a straight line speed guy. And Tough Borland couldn't keep up with him. He was he was getting beat every single play because he doesn't have the correct angles. He doesn't take the correct angles. He doesn't wrap up very well. Uh, he he misses a surprising amount of tackles for how big he is. And he's just, I don't think he's quick enough. I don't think he's quick enough to play on a defense that is predicated pretty much entirely on speed. I think that Baron Browning deserves a shot. I think that Justin Hillier deserves a shot. I think that Dante Booker deserves a shot over Tough Borland because he's just, he's not it. He's not the answer. I think Malik Harrison was actually pretty decent uh, for most of the game. He had a couple mistakes, but... He his athleticism was big in this game. I didn't really think much of anything about Pete Werner. He he made a couple plays. He had it looks like he had a tackle for a loss. I don't remember him doing much of anything. So they they were what they have been really all season long. And I, I think that this is just kind of what they are. I, I'd really like to see it get switched up a little bit with the personnel. I'll say this. Borland did have a sack and he did force the fumble that led to the first touchdown that Draymond Jones recovered so I thought when he was when he makes a play it's usually a pretty good one but yeah it's just and I, yeah. I think my what I disliked was less about him and more the way he was used which which you talked about early in the game maybe it was Penn State's first or second drive there was that really long McSorley run and they showed a replay where Borland was just like dragging behind him like he was a 1960s linebacker <laughs> chasing Jim Brown and I'm not blaming Borland for that because he shouldn't have yeah, he to spy shouldn't be in that situation. Trace McSorley. That that isn't how he should be used. And even earlier on in the fourth quarter, definitely later on in the third quarter, McSorley was just they were just dropping him back and he was running for like eighteen yards. And I think all of us were like, Where are the linebackers? And I don't really think it was those guys' fault. I think that that was more so like, what was Ohio State doing? Not just keying up on that. Like that was really Penn State's whole offense was just dropping him back and letting McSorley run. And, and I do think that that's something where you can just tell that they don't trust Baron Browning because he has the better athleticism to keep up with a guy like McSorley, who, like you said, really isn't in the grand scheme of like great college athletes at quarterback. He's not at the top of the list. Yeah. Speed is not his thing. <laughs> I think that they would have been able to mitigate that a lot more with a guy like Browning, but it just seems like they don't trust him enough. And even when Borland and those other dudes were able to key on it, they were just too late because they were forced to drop in coverage and the whole middle of the field was open. So I don't necessarily blame Tough for that. I'm definitely with you that I, I would like to see a change. And we're, we've talked about this the last three weeks at linebacker, that they just they aren't getting the job done for the most part. But I, I thought – in the last couple of big games we've seen, this was oddly the best that they've played, but even then, they I don't think that they were really used 
to their strengths, which is just is super odd that we just can't seem to get on the same page of like scheme and players. But at least the plays that they made were big. I think that's yeah. that's an improvement. But overall, like it's definitely still a worry. What what about secondary? Because I don't think the corners got a lot of run today. There wasn't a ton to take away. Sean Wade, two PBUs. He definitely got smoked yeah, off did. the ninety three <laughs> yeah. yard touchdown pass. But what I will tell you is he didn't have a lot of help behind him. No. There wasn't a lot going on at safety. This was probably Jordan Fuller's worst game. Yeah. And and that's fine because he's such a great player that you're just bound to have those type of games. I don't think he really matches up well with the style of offense that Penn State likes to run but Isaiah Pryor man he I, I think that he has the potential to be a much better player than he is and I don't want to write him off at all because yeah. he's so young but we've talked about guys just looking like the game is too fast for him the game's too fast yeah. for Isaiah Pryor yeah, right now because the KJ Handler play it should have been a 15 yard gain should have been a 20 yard gain and stuffed right there that in no way should have been a 93 yard touchdown yeah. the angle was very similar to what we saw in the Oregon State game and then he was later ejected for targeting he just seems like the game's too fast for him right now and that's okay but as long as Ohio State has that back there it's gonna kill him yeah yeah he the pursuit angle was bad the um the targeting I saw a bunch of people complaining about it which they do whenever there's a targeting call it was targeting <laughs> It was, I thought that was fine. Yeah, it was. Uh, there wasn't a lot he could have done just because yeah. of the way that Hamler's head went down, but it was definitely targeting. Yeah, it was a defenseless receiver. I mean, I, I think that Isaiah Pryor was. You know, that was another one of those situations where he was. He had decided what he was doing before the play had happened. Really, before everything that unfolded on that play had happened, he he knew that he was going to fly in there and he was going to hit him. And it was a mistake. It was a bad play. It was a dangerous play. Uh, you can't do that. I, I think that, I, firstly, I hope that KJ Hamler's okay. I haven't seen updates on him, but he was. Uh, I think he was knocked out on the field, and he's he's a very very good player. He he scares me a lot. But Isaiah Pryor doesn't really react to plays. He he doesn't he doesn't seem to he doesn't seem to be reading the the game quick enough that's the issue with pursuit angles that's the issue with him having lapses in coverage he's just you know at safety you really have to be able to read the whole field quickly and and make decisions based on on instinct and based on really really knowing your stuff and i think he's a talented player i think he's a really good athlete I don't think he's ready for this. I, I'm not sure if they have someone who is. Uh, Jocelyn Wentz certainly is not. He he also did not have a good game filling in for Pryor. Fuller, I, I I didn't think Fuller was terrible. He was he was fine. He he didn't really do anything that that stood out to me. He he had a couple plays that weren't very good, but this like you said, this is not a great matchup for him. I don't remember really anything that Kendall Sheffield do, did. It says he has a tackle for a loss. I don't remember it. <laughs> it was later on in the game. Yeah. I, I remember it was kind of a more of a group yeah. tackle, but he was he was in on that. He didn't really get tested. Yeah, they time. didn't throw they didn't throw to receivers very often. I, I thought Damon Arnett he he was injured in the I think it was either the late third quarter or the early fourth quarter. I think he was also yeah. back in the game later, if I remember right. I think I think he looked fine. Again, they, they really didn't throw a ton to receivers down the field. The cornerbacks were mostly 
used as uh, run support guys because Penn State wasn't running a, a super traditional offense. The the other two, Sean Wade and Jeffrey Okuda, I think if you're looking for another answer at safety, it's it's in one of those two because Jeffrey Okuda wasn't great. Like you know, like all these other guys, really wasn't tested much. He had four tackles. He was he was fine. Sean Wade had the two really, really nice pass breakups. I think they both came in big situations too, if I remember right. I think the one was on the third down, and he's good. He's he's a very good player. He's so he, good. He got burnt by KJ Hamler. KJ Hamler is one of the fastest players in college football. It happens. It, he didn't have any help behind him. He was supposed to have help behind him. I can't expect a cornerback to stay with KJ Hamler when KJ Hamler runs such a good route. It was a it was a well-executed play, and he got burnt. I think that Sean Wade can cover 99% of receivers in college football, and K.J. Hamler is in the 1% of elite college football receivers. If they want to use him at safety, I'd be happy with that. If they want to use him at corner, I'd be happy with that. Same thing with Jeffrey Okuda. I think when you have all that talent at, at cornerback, which Ohio State has, Sean Wade is going to be a star if he isn't already. He's, you know, just, he's a fantastic player. And you have to find a way to use him. And if it, that means putting him at safety, if that means full-time going to nickel and only having two linebackers, I'm fine with that because you've got to get that guy on the field. He's, he's too good to have him not playing as many snaps as all of these other defensive backs because he's just as good, if not better, than all of them. And I, I think the cornerbacks in general were, were very solid in this game. It was more safety issues that that hurt Ohio State here. Yeah, Jeff Okuda and Sean Wade, please, more playing time. Those yeah. are guys that can play the ball. Uh, the one dude, I forget, Johnson for Penn State, just made the sick yeah, catch yeah. over Damon Arnett, and there was nothing he could have done about that. I wanted to complain that he didn't get his head around, but like when a dude a makes that yeah. type of play, like you just got to give props. Let's talk about Drew Christman real quick, and then we'll get Let's, Yeah, here. special teams, man. <laughs> Drew Christman, nine punts. For 8 billion yards, he had the one really awesome punt that pinned Penn State in their three. That was the eventually ended up being the Hamler touchdown, yeah. but that could have been a game changer. He There were times in this game where Drew Chrisman kept Ohio State afloat mm -hmm. with the way that he punted. He had a 58-yard punt. You brought up Ohio State being able to flip field position when they needed to punt. He did that. Yeah. He was awesome in Ohio State's punting game. We saw even back in 2014 with Cam Johnston. It can change games, and they used him as a weapon, and he, he was awesome. Yeah, I think had Penn State not had to deal with Drew Christman, they probably would have won this game. I, I think that not being in great field position for most of the night really hurt them. It, it hurt a lot of their drives. It forced a lot of punts in situations that probably could have been field goals. I don't think their kicker is very good from what I saw, but um, they still, I mean, they punted from like the 35 in the first half, if I remember right. The, it is not a great, you know, field position game for Penn State, and that's because of Drew Christman. The The defense was was struggling a lot against Penn State's offense for, for good reason, because Penn State's offense is very good. But Drew Chrisman, I think, really helped keep them in the game, especially when the offense was really struggling for the first three quarters and some change in the fourth quarter. And if Chase Young isn't the the most important player in this game, Drew Chrisman probably is. And that, you know, it's it's weird to say that about a a punter, but he was I mean, he was great. He he was you know, he he pinned them inside the twenty three times. He had the one inside the five. 
you know, another thing with that, he wasn't really booting them super far. He, he they were going like 50 yards, but still they were they were high enough in the air that Ohio State's punt coverage was able to get down the field and force little they were forcing little to no yards. They um, Penn State's primary punt returner Tompkins had four returns for negative three yards. KJ Hamler had one decent return for ten yards, but in general, it was either a it was either a fair catch or it was a loss of yards. And I, I think that that's another result of really great punting and some good coverage. I think Jeffrey Okuda was in there on coverage, and he did a really Terry great McLaurin, job. Terry so. McLaurin, man, yeah. talking about Terry McLaurin, he was an ace yeah. on special teams last night. He didn't do really much of anything to get in the stat sheet, but his blocking. And him and Okuda on punt coverage, and I think even a couple of those kick return coverages, they were, they were yeah. fantastic. Yeah, that's a huge deal to get guys like that making plays. And I, I think we love and support Terry McLaurin on this podcast. I'm, I'm ready to say that. <laughs> Listen, I will eat some crow. He, I trashed him the last two years, especially after that Oklahoma game. He's been awesome. Yeah. I think a lot of what he does shows up not just in receiving ability and stats. He's just an all-around really good player. Terry McLaurin is the type of guy where eight years from now you look and you're like, wow, how is Terry McLaurin still in the NFL? (laughs) And it's because he can do so many different things. He is such a good blocker. He's willing to get out there and just do the little things that help his teammates succeed. He's an awesome special teams player, so – I'll definitely go on record and say I was super duper wrong about Terry McLaurin, and I'm glad to see that he's having a really good season. Yeah, he he reminds me a lot of Evan Spencer, the the seasons that Evan Spencer had later in his career, where he kind of really put it all together and wasn't catching a ton of passes, but was just a, a fantastic teammate, really helping his um, you know his fellow receivers who are a little bit better built to to pick up big gains in the in the air and. Um, yeah, all credit to Terry McLaurin. He he had a great game. He was a big part of of this win. Um, you got anything else? Any any overarching takeaways here? My final take, and it's good because we're gonna get out of here and not not spend a lot of time on this one. The old baby did Urban Meyer try to turtle again in this one? <laughs> he tried to turtle, and the players didn't let him. And if we talked about this at the start, if they lost this game, this would have been super frustrating. And the players, I think, bailed them out. Not to the extent that they had in like 2016 and in 2015, but it was very disappointing to see that stretch of game where they kind of just reverted to what we've seen in the past. And the players fought through it. I thought that the coaches did a better job, at least offensively, as it as the game went on and, and using the passing game and using the screens and just getting the ball to guys that can make people miss in the open field, but this would have been a tough one to swallow if Ohio State lost. And there's nothing there's nothing to be ashamed about about losing to a team like Penn State on the road. But it was a big game. A lot of big game Urban Meyer tendencies that we saw in this one and they were able to overcome it. But it's it's definitely something that I'm worried about going forward. Yeah, this this team is not perfect. They've got issues. They have a lot of learning to do. If they want to, I think even really compete with Alabama, who looks just dominant, but they're undefeated. They're they're now five and zero. They they passed what is um, you know, and <laughs> with or without Michigan being pretty good, I think Penn State's the biggest test of the season at Penn State. That's that's a Agreed. huge deal. 
and they got over it. They they beat that that huge obstacle and they completely control their destiny. They're very easily the top team in the Big Ten. They are very easily the favorites to win the Big Ten at this point. I don't think Ohio State's going to see another defense like this until November when they play Michigan State, when they play Michigan. So this offense has time to figure out why it did why it did what it did for most of this game. And even with that conservative play calling, even with Urban Meyer getting a little bit back to the old him, and I think that Ryan Day was kind of what saved them late in the game, and I think that his play calling was um, – the, the screens were probably a direct result of Ryan Day. I, I will say that. And that was the correct thing to do was screens late in the game when Penn State was blitzing that much. But Ohio State's undefeated. They, they've got work to do. They are by no means a perfect team, but – they beat Penn State at Penn State, and that feels pretty good. Absolutely. Like I said earlier, any win over Penn State is so, so beautiful. <laughs> and this series has been decided by two points the last two yep. years. And regardless of the sloppiness, I will definitely take that in Ohio State's favor than being on the other end because Penn State fans and those coaches and players have got to be feeling extremely sick to their stomach and Penn state has been, I, I know Michigan state is in this class too, but everybody talks about Penn state. Like they are the thorn in Ohio state side. Penn state has won this game once since urban Meyer has been, been coached. There's been a lot of good games, but that's, that's the level that Ohio state is on right now. That if you beat them once, you are a thorn in their side. And it is great that Ohio state comes out of these games, the winner more often than they do the loser. We got to get out of here, though. We're almost an hour in. Like we said, we couldn't couldn't get to everything today. There's a lot going on, but we'll be back later on this week. You'll hear this one probably later tonight on Sunday, but we'll be back with a preview podcast. Is it, It's Indiana this week, yep, right? Yep, Indiana. Four, four and one, Indiana. Wow. It should be uh, fun talking about whatever Indiana does. I have no clue what they are about this season, but we'll break all of that down Later on this week with a preview podcast, talk a little bit more about what's going on in college football. Those bastards at Clemson. It almost happened, Patrick, <laughs> and it's going to happen. They are going to lose, and they're going to lose twice. I'm up in the mm-hmm. ante on this one, but we'll talk about that in uh, in our next episode. Make sure to visit LandGrantHolyLand.com. Go to SoundCloud.com slash LandGrantHolyLand to find the show. Subscribe to the show, Holy Land Pod on Twitter, at HolyLandPod. Search Hangout in the Holy Land on Apple Podcasts. Find us there. And Patrick and I are on Twitter at Patrick underscore Mayhorn, and I am at Dubs Co. If you're CJ Saunders' friends, you're muted, yeah. man. I can't even see you. <laughs> the, yo, the swaggest thing in the world, the mute button is the best function because people are just tweeting at you into oblivion, and they have no clue. Just get fire those tweets off, baby. I, I can't see them. I'm chilling. I'm eating pasta on my couch. I can't see what you're doing. Uh, but reach us there. They'll tucker themselves out. <laughs> yeah, find, find the show and follow along with us. We'll have a lot more great stuff coming your guys' way. But until then, for Patrick Mayhorn, I'm Colton Denning, and this has been The Hangout in the Holy Land.